welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman, along with Tommy Martin. Joe Jordan will be joining us just a moment from Washington, D.C. Today on the program, singing and educating about science. Our guest will be Peter Weiss, the singing scientist. He'll share some original songs and talk about using music to educate about science and nature. Also, a report from the Washington, D.C. March for Science from Joe Jordan, who was there and is there, and impressions from the Sister March in Santa Cruz. Stay tuned for that, plus the news, right here on Planet Watch. And if you'd like to respond to our guest or ask us a question or make a comment, you can do it one of two ways. We are live on Facebook visually and audibly. You can uh, comment there on our Facebook page, which is uh, Planet Watch. Look it up on Facebook. Or you could email us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. That's radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And uh, let's bring Joe on the line just a moment and uh, see if we can get him all hooked up here. Joe hello, Jordan. Hello. 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 Is this thing do you, on? Do you hear me? We can. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay. Hey. And I can hear you. It's great to hear your voice. <laughs> and thanks to our engineer, Jason, for putting up with a little extra chaos today <laughs> but uh, calling from northern virginia actually you know in the suburbs of washington dc out near the town of great falls and that's a great park by the way fantastic part of the potomac river where the piedmont gives way to the tidewater uh, at the fall line so anyway yeah well, welcome, welcome aboard uh, via the magic of science and technology. Radio is one of the more technical fields. It takes lots of technology and science to have gotten to the point where you can hear our voice live over the airwaves. And we'll be talking about um, why people march for science. But first, a little news roundup. Let's start with uh, one of the top stories of yesterday, which is yesterday. The March for Science drew crowds in 600 locations around the globe from a Chile research station in Antarctica to London to Washington, D.C. Scientists marched in Cape Town, Madrid, and Seoul, as well as Australia, Brazil, Canada, and Nigeria. While crowd estimates are still being calculated the day after, media in major cities in the United States are reporting upwards of 40,000 that marched in Chicago, 10,000 in Portland, 10,000 in St. Paul, Minnesota, 10,000 in Los Angeles, and in Santa Cruz, California, 4,000 people marched to the Earth Day celebration right here in downtown Santa Cruz. All over the world, scientists and their supporters held signs defending the basic research that makes modern life possible, from medicine to cell phone technology to basic scientific research that helps us understand our Earth. Although the signs rarely took aim at Donald Trump directly, the message was clear. Scientists feel their jobs and the value of their work is under attack. From defunding the EPA, NASA, NOAA, and various other federal agencies, cutting back thousands and thousands of jobs, but also cutting back on funding for basic science grants. Many marchers we spoke with said they felt compelled to get out of the lab and into the streets to engage in what many of them say will be a long fight to support their field. A little bit later in the program, we'll have audio from many of the scientists we met on the streets of Santa Cruz. And uh, Joe Jordan has another story for us that's completely different, but um, he will give us a full report in just a moment about what he saw in D.C., yeah, well, here's a little news uh, of the past, <laughs> the immediate past. Uh, could have been really big news if uh, this asteroid had come a little closer to the Earth. But uh, just in case you weren't watching, uh, one came by the Earth pretty close, and it was fairly big. <laughs> just, uh, well, back, uh, uh, let's see, on April 19th. Um, and it ended up being bigger. It, passed by us about four and a half times the distance to the moon, and it was uh, quite a bit bigger than people had thought once they got some good imaging of it. So, you know, this is sort of a preview of coming attractions, and we can talk about these things on our show. It's a fascinating subject, uh, impacts on the Earth from, you know, it came from outer space. And, uh, you know, th that can be very seriously related to climate change, major climate change, when, when something like that happens, and it does happen every now and then, and, you know, it could well happen again. The one thing that's different now is we have the ability to possibly prevent uh, most such things from happening, whereas in the past, the dinosaurs and the early hum humans did not. 
I didn't catch what you said about how close it came and how big it was. Did you say that? Oh, about four, it was about four and a half times the distance to the moon. And uh, let's see how big. It was bigger than astronomers thought <laughs> once they got some good imaging. And I don't happen to have that uh figure at the top of my tip of my head here but uh bigger than a bread box (laughs) definitely bigger than a bread box (laughs) enough to do some damage perhaps well i know we have a a observatory that's looking at these things and this is one of the great things nasa does to keep us safe is to detect these asteroids before they get very close um you saw the movie deep impact i'm sure and that was a little bit far-fetched perhaps as far as what to do about it they were going to blow it up and then well, I don't want to give it away in case you haven't seen it yet, but it didn't end that well, actually. It ended semi-badly, um, but they did try, and the scientists were the heroes. I always like that in the movies. Someone at the march yesterday had a sign that said, hey, don't you notice in every science fiction movie that, that they always ignore the scientists when things really go wrong? <laughs> so I thought that was yeah. cute. So, There's um, a whole... Uh, yeah. There's a whole research area about uh, research and development, I guess you could say, engineering on, okay, what are we going to do if one of these big things is headed our way? And a lot of people say, oh, blow it up. But, you know, nuclear weapons or whatever. But the problem is then you have a whole lot of projectiles hurled your way. And uh, so there are other ways of handling things, and um, we'll, we'll get into that in some future shows. In fact, some of the world's experts on this hazard and how to mitigate it are at uh, UC Santa Cruz, right there on the West Coast, on the edge of the continent. All right, future shows. <laughs> so Tommy has a news story he's going to share with us about a case of river piracy, which is a, a term <laughs> I had not heard before. Yeah, it's the first documented case, actually, of river piracy, which has been reported in northwestern Canada. Uh, in an event most certainly ascribed to climate change, the new melting pattern of the Kaskawulsh Glacier has diverted a giant river from its long-held channel to an entirely new one, robbing an entire region of waters and uh, drying a giant lake. Uh, reported in the online version of the journal Natural uh, Nature Geoscience last summer, geomorphologist Daniel Shugar of the University of uh, Washington Tacoma and colleagues <laughs> discovered that melting had carved a canyon across the toe of Kaskawulsh Glacier. This new channel diverts almost all meltwater into Kaskawulsh River. That's robbed the now largely parched Slims River and could decrease fish populations and the availability of nutrients downstream. Um, Such piracy was rampant as the colossal ice sheets of the last glacial maximum began shrinking around 18,000 years ago. Well, something slightly ominous but interesting could happen um, just means it went somewhere else. Um, And the Canadians probably can't sue over that one. (laughs) At least it was nature and not humans diverting the water. New, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And finally, a recent upsurge in planet warming methane may not be caused, may is the word, may not be caused by increasing emissions, as previously thought, but by methane lingering longer in the atmosphere. That's the conclusion of two independent studies that indirectly tracked concentrations of hydroxyl, a highly reactive chemical that rips methane molecules apart. Hydroxyl levels in the atmosphere decrease roughly 7 or 8 percent starting in the early 2000s, the study's estimate. estimate uh, the two teams proposed that the hydroxyl decline slowed the breakdown of atmospheric methane, boosting levels of the greenhouse gas. Concentrations in the atmosphere have crept up since 2007, but during the same period, methane emissions from human activities and natural sources have remained stable or even fallen slightly. The research groups report their findings online in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, April 17th edition. And uh, it is not exactly known why there was an increase, decrease in hydroxyl. And as you might or might know, methane enters the atmosphere from a range of sources, both from decomposing biological material in wetlands like peat bogs up north to leaks in natural gas pipelines. Ton for ton, methane causes 28 to 36 times as much warming, so it's really important to know why it's uh, sticking around longer than thought, even though we're actually reducing some emissions. And that's one of those to be understood greater in the future. So, um, we're, hey, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Say, Rachel, I had one more uh, 
if you got it just a half a minute, because uh, it's happening this week. Uh, speaking of projectiles, like the asteroid we were talking about, something that we shot off into space, and it's way out there at Saturn, Cassini, fantastic mission, including you know the lander named Huygens, H-U-Y-G-E-N-S, I think for a Dutch scientist or somebody over there in Europe. <laughs> anyway, that one landed on the surface of Saturn's moon Titan years ago and discovered what we had thought would be there, liquid methane, which plays a role similar to water on the Earth. <laughs> methane here is natural gas, but there it's cold enough to be a liquid. Well, anyway, Cassini has been looping all around through Saturn and its moons, uh, and it is about to run out of gas or battery or whatever, not gasoline, and it is going to be, um, we're going to be guiding it through the gap between the innermost rings of Saturn and the top of the clouds of Saturn's, uh, you know, ball itself. And on April 26th, which is just a few days from now, it's going to start a series of daring dives and swoops all around until finally in mid-September it is going to plunge into Saturn itself and be incinerated. But kind of stay tuned for a wild ride here these next few months. Great. Well, thank, thanks for that. And, and you work for NASA, so you know how much money and time and effort spent on one of those probes. And then I guess in some cases, it's, it just doesn't get to come back to Earth. It just has to be scrapped somehow or burned up in some atmosphere. So at least they're not leaving it as space junk. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's going to be fair, uh, farewell to, it'll be Cassini's swan song, but it's going to go out in style. <laughs> Is it going to broadcast images as it goes down? Oh, I'm sure there will be all kinds of uh, interesting visual. Oh, well, as it goes down, (laughs) once it gets inside the cloud belts, it'll be kind of like being in a deep fog Mm -hmm. and far enough from the sun that things are pretty dark out there anyway. So, yeah, well, we'll we'll talk more about that (laughs) as the time approaches. But anyway, the the grand finale is starting uh, this week is is kind of the main point of this uh, news item. Uh, So stay tuned. (laughs) And by the way, I'm having the time, the first time since we started doing this show in mid-January that I have the leisure of being at at, uh, somebody's home watching the show on Facebook Live, which all of you who are on Facebook can do, and you can actually see people in the studio. And I see Peter Weiss in there with his guitar. Patiently (laughs) waiting. (laughs) So hi, Peter. Hi, Joe. Okay, so we're going to bring Peter Weiss on and properly introduce him. Peter is a scientist, and he's also a songwriter, and those are rare combinations, I would say. Um, Peter, first tell us a little bit about your work as a scientist and what you study and what are some of the interesting things you like to share with us there, and then we're going to switch you into your other hat. (laughs) Yeah, I I have three hats, really, a research scientist and a lecturer and educator of general chemistry at UC Santa Cruz, and then uh, a kid's family entertainer and songwriter. So yeah, sometimes I get confused about which hat I'm actually wearing. But um, I've been doing research at uh, UC Santa Cruz uh, for almost 10 years now. And before that, I was at the University of Washington in, in Seattle. And uh, I've been interested in, in atmospheric chemistry for a very long time, um, since I got my PhD in the mid-90s. And the atmosphere is is so delicate. It's it's really a thin membrane around our whole planet, and it's often the the last repository of of our waste, especially any gaseous waste, um, carbon dioxide, methane. You were talking about. You mentioned hydroxyl, the hydroxyl radical. It, it has a nickname. It's the vacuum cleaner of the atmosphere, because it pretty much reacts with all the junk that we put up there, and so. If the hydroxyl radical were to change, and it's it's very dynamic and not f- very well understood completely, um, it has an effect on on all the other stuff that we put up there. So if its levels go down, that's a big concern because then the lifetime of things like methane are going to be a lot longer, and that's not something we want. Um, the particular type of air pollutant that I've been focusing on for 10, 15 years now is mercury, and it's a it's a metal, and uh, it's uh, best known as a liquid in thermometers, and also mining uh, in in this region. And the newspaper San Jose Mercury News is named after it because uh, the uh, Almaden mine was the largest mercury mine in uh, North America. I did not know. Sh- yeah, that. shut down in the in the 1960s, and the primary use for mercury was in the gold mining process it makes an amalgam with gold and can 
capture very small flakes of gold very, very efficiently. And it's widely used throughout much of the developing world in um, tropical countries like Peru and Indonesia, where it's rampant Old West kind of lawless towns and where they're using lots and lots of mercury. Well, but mercury is, is just the most unusual metal that we have because it not only is it a liquid, most metals are solid, um, but it can evaporate and become a gas. And so all around us, all the time, are mercury atoms in the atmosphere just naturally occurring. I mean, it's an element. It came with the planet, okay? <laughs> it has no biological function, but this is where it gets really interesting. The biology prevents uh, one of the old adages of, of environmental science from, from holding true. And that old adage is the solution to pollution is dilution. Meaning that if we just puff away our exhaust into the air and it mixes around, eventually the concentrations will be so low that it won't be any problem. But with mercury, once it enters into the ecosystem these and gets into environments where there's no oxygen, these bacteria, which have been on the planet for over a billion years, cyanobacteria, they chemically transform mercury and turn it into methylmercury. And there it becomes soluble in fatty tissue and undergoes something called bioaccumulation. So mercury is very, very dilute in our atmosphere. There's absolutely no health hazard from breathing air. Even, even mercury-laden fog, which I'll mention in a minute, is really no health concern. But it's when it enters into the food chain and it accumulates at each level of, of the food web that then you get to animals like tuna. And, and just recently in my lab, we tested the mercury amounts in uh, the fur of California sea otters. And we found just screaming high levels, you know, 20 parts per million, which is you know, four or five times greater than the health threshold for most mammals. We don't know what the health threshold is for otters, but... And they have lots of other stressors in their in their life. But the point is, is that top-level predators of the food chain, including humans, are at risk for mercury poisoning, and it is a potent neurotoxin. Once it's in the food web, it's almost impossible to get it out. So it's one of these situations, and coming back to the sort of the point of the march, is that the data is really important you know, we have sophisticated technology and instruments that can measure mercury in the environment, and we've been doing so for decades, and we know a lot about it. And we know that we should limit it coming out of coal-fired power plants, because enter, when it enters into the atmosphere, it directly falls out in certain areas and can impact fisheries and so forth. With The data is clear, and so that was one of the things that the new administration wanted to remove was the limits of the coal-fired power plant and so on and so forth. We know mm -hmm. all the, the details are emerging. But the point is, is that the science needs to be trusted uh, because um, that's really the best thing we have. Um, you can't look into a crystal ball, you know. And once something has reached a point of gone too far, it's it could take hundreds hundreds, thousands of years to return uh, back to appropriate levels. So that's kind of the, the thrust of my research. And right. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, not even funny, but no. interesting that I come of an era where we used to break open thermometers and roll mercury around. Yes. My, and my sister became a scientist. But um, yeah. she was always curious. She had a chemistry set. Exactly. And um, so we would roll this stuff, and it was yeah. wild. It would recombobulate and roll <laughs> around, and it was a metal. It's um, cool. We are going to be right back with Peter Weiss, the singing scientist. But first, we're going to take our first commercial break, and we'll be right back. The original Stagnaro family has been in business since 1879. The Stagnaro name stands for quality, quantity, and great service. The family's Gilda's Restaurant on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf is still the fishing headquarters of the Santa Cruz area. It's where fishermen gather each morning for coffee and breakfast before heading out on the bay. Stop by Gilda's and say hi. Dino looks forward to meeting you. 
at Gilda's on the center of the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. Hi, I'm Prince Lachey. Saturday, April 29th, noon until 5 p.m. at the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf, we will be presenting our annual International Jazz Day concert. Joining us this year from Sweden are violinist Teresa Lean and pianist Anna Greta, along with our local favorite vocalist Tammy Brown, plus the Bay Area's favorite, John Santos Latin Jazz Band. This concert is free and open to the public. We look forward to seeing you there, thanks to our sponsor, KSCO. Recently on Good Morning Monterey Bay, the Department of Justice is announcing the indictment of two Russian spies and two hackers in the Yahoo case, which isn't such a big deal. It's just I saw the pictures of these people, and there's one of the four, and um, Alexei Belan. He is Wait, one they've of, actually got the individuals? Yeah, they've got the individuals, they've got them, and, and Karim Baratov, but Alexei Belan. Sexy? Just absolutely terrifying. A guy? Yes. Does he have those black sunken Russian eyes? <laughs> he looks like a murderer to me. He looks like a mass murderer. He doesn't look like a hacker at all. But yeah, they... Um... So you wanted more acne? <laughs> Is that yes. what you wanted? <laughs> yes, I did, actually. That was exactly what I was looking for. Don't miss Good Morning Monterey Bay weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO. And listen anytime on the KSCO mobile. You're listening to Planet Watch. Thank you for tuning in this afternoon. It's a show all about big solutions to planet size problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman here with Tommy Martin and Peter Weiss, the singing scientist who hasn't sung for us yet, but it's not over till the scientist sings. <laughs> it, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about methylmercury and poisoning and how it's in our environment forever. Making that leap to um, being a serious scientist and dealing with some pretty, you know, monumental issues that are trying to be solved. And then talking to kids, how do you make that leap? And, and then let's hear some of what you do, maybe, <laughs> to make that without having to have you explain what you do. Maybe you'll just do something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it started uh, back when, you know, my kids were little and had a bit more time on my hands. And I wanted to try to bring together the two worlds. I've, you know, been in rock bands and... Uh, during you know at night I'd be gigging and then during the day I'd be teaching my chemistry class and the two worlds were always never together and so I thought well what if I can bring you know some science some environmental awareness a little bit of activism a little encouragement try to educate the next generation to do good and um, I don't really like to get preachy and I don't like to get negative and I like to just have fun and um, have it be more about nature and and appreciating the earth and also like little things that we can all do and just get people excited about recycling and, you know, conservation and just doing what's right. So this is one of the first songs I wrote. If I'll just jump right into it. Yeah, um, I realized that um, there was no song for Earth Day. Um, and you can Google Earth Day songs and you'll probably find a few now, but... Um, well, I still think this one is classic, so it's <laughs> my song. It's called Happy Earth Day. It goes like this. Oh, it's Earth Day. Oh, happy Earth Day. We celebrate the Earth today. Third planet from the sun, and it's the only one. I'm wishing you a happy Earth Day. Oh, the Earth gives us everything we need. Like clear flowing water and tall green trees Fertile soil and a place to grow crops Beautiful rainbows and fat raindrops But there's so many people and so much waste We need a reminder to take care of this place That's why it's Earth Day, oh happy Earth Day We celebrate the Earth today Third planet from the sun And it's the only one I'm wishing you a happy Earth Day Oh, what can you do on Earth Day? Recycle your garbage instead of throw away Walk everywhere, leave your car at home Call a politician up on the phone For if we raise our voices loud and strong Environmental problems, they won't last too long That's why it's Earth Day Oh, happy Earth Day We 
celebrate the Earth today. Third planet from the sun, and it's the only one. I'm wishing you a happy Earth Day. And it's just about the best holiday. Let's thank the Earth and then yell hooray. Try to get outside just a little bit. Leave the place cleaner than when you found it But there's so many people not behaving their best By working together we can clean up the mess That's why it's Earth Day, oh happy Earth Day We celebrate the Earth today Third planet from the sun and it's the only one I'm wishing you a happy Earth Day One more time, it's Earth Day Happy Earth Day We celebrate the Earth today Third planet from the sun And it's the only one I'm wishing you a happy Earth Day Happy Earth Day, everybody, even if it's a day late. Yeah, I know. <laughs> nice. Technically speaking. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably Earth Day somewhere. <laughs> Guam. <laughs> On some planet. Yeah. Maybe still, yeah. <laughs> so we're listening to Peter Weiss, a singing scientist. And have you ever met anyone else who does this, who is also a scientist? I've heard sing people sing about science, like Tom Lehrer has that yeah. wonderful elements. But there, there are a few. I've been uh, contacted by some of them. And, uh, Did they say, hey, I'm the singing I'm a singing scientist <laughs> also. And, and um, so I, I like to think I've, <laughs> yeah, I've inspired a few. Yeah, if you, if you want to hear more of my music, you can find me online, Peter Weiss, the singing scientist. I'm on iTunes and CD Baby and YouTube. Um, and so. you play for um, schools and things like yep, that? Yep, schools, yep. I rocked uh, Bonnie Dune Elementary recently. Um, Tommy went there. Yeah, yeah. Went. Went there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I got a kid in my uh, chemistry class at UCSC right now, and I just sang this song on Friday, and he came up to me and said, hey, did you ever play Happy Valley Elementary School about 10 years ago? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so now he's in college. So <laughs> you inspired him to go into the sciences, no less. So. I don't know, but... That's pretty cool. Anyway, we just try to have fun, and I've got my singers too. I, I sing with Gail Swain, Ron Goodman, and we're the Peter Weiss and the Earth Rangers. So I know those guys. Yeah, look for us. Ron Goodman and I share a telephone funny joke. Everyone's always calling me and saying, is Ron there? Yeah. <laughs> we have the same first initial. So I know those two, and they're wonderful singers. It's great yeah. to have backup. So, um, in your other life, do you ever get your fellow lab people to sing with you? <laughs> Try to lighten up the lab a little bit? Yeah, we have a pretty good time. I work with a lot of undergraduates and... Um try to inspire them to, you know, step out. I, one of them, one of my research interns uh, helped me make a video uh, that documenting our research. So he had some good video editing skills and um, we put some of my music in there. And uh, yeah, you know, outreach and creativity, so important, um, explaining our science because it gets real complicated and esoteric really fast. I mean, we're using multidimensional models and we're using sophisticated instrumentation that, co you know, one one of our instruments easily can cost $50,000, you know, with a whole support network of specialized sensors and products and things. It's it's real sciencey, you know, and so you can live in that world 24-7 or you can, you can branch out and try to be a balanced human being and get exercise and stuff like that. You know? Right, you don't live in the laboratory under a rock somewhere and become all pale like the Not stereotypical. Not <laughs> And that was what was interesting, just to segue to the march yesterday, was there were all these people in lab coats. These were not your typical protesters. Um, they were in the lab, and then they came out into the streets. I found that really interesting that, you know, these are people who are not used to talking about politics, um, suddenly finding themselves mm -hmm. threatened and their future threatened. Yeah. I talked to a lot of young people. We'll hear a recording in just a little while, yeah. but... A lot of them were just worried that they wouldn't have a career. Yeah. How do you talk to your students about this issue where times are changing and that $50,000 piece of equipment <laughs> might seem to some critic that, why should the government be funding this? What does it do for me? You know, making the case for science might be the next field. Yeah, there's a silver lining to all this. I just keep trying to tell myself is that we are forced 
by having an adversary to science and, and logic and, and common sense is to verbalize these things that I think for a long time we've just taken it, taken for granted, like that in this society we value higher education, we value getting a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD, like these are things that one should aspire to if they so choose to do it, that in society you... These will come with certain, you know, respects, like you get a title of being doctor after you have a PhD. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, the way is going to be paved for you your whole life, but it means you've, you've, you've gone through some really hard stuff and you're, you're kind of bright and you could do great things and, and we, and we respect to, you. And yeah. we really want to trust our lives to you. Exactly. I mean, if you think about what, you know, you didn't want to go to someone who just studied doctoring in kindergarten yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. Like you would not trust your surgeon to have no education. And it seems obvious, but then when you get into these dialogues, then um, you find yourself in strange territory. That's we true. have uh, Joe back on the line. Maybe he wants to ask you a question and Great. probably get time for one more song. Okay, cool. <laughs> Joe, you're with us. Yeah, hi. Well, actually, more a comment than a question. The comment was, yay! Great song. <laughs> Thanks, I enjoyed Joe. your Earth Day song. I couldn't quite hear the guitar as much as I would have liked, but, I mean, your voice is great, man. Oh, so <laughs> it was all golden. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, let's see. You know... Um, I guess another thing that you could talk to us a little bit about, we're going to have your colleague, uh, whom I've known a long time, who teaches at CSUMB, Dan Fernandez, on the show sometime. But I know you guys work together on fog harvesting, uh, you know, maybe kind of uh, whether it's, you know, how you do it, whether it's uh, practical for getting significant amounts of water for drinking or whatever else we need water for, which is everything. <laughs> Or, or maybe it's more just the chemistry of it and the mystery about the mercury. Jeez, maybe you actually talked about all that already, but I don't think you really talked about the fog no, harvesting, did you? not much, no. We only have a minute or so yeah, left for I'll, that, I'll so give us a very it. quick synopsis, and thank you, Joe, for the question. Yeah, so, I mean, just in studying mercury, and the ocean is a big part of the mercury cycle, and, and the ocean and fog and the coastal zone is a big, big issue around here, and I discovered that methyl mercury was getting into the fog. So it's more from a chemistry perspective and how mercury might be cycling in the coastal environment. But I wasn't an expert in fog. And so when I first started this project, I, I called up Dan Fernandez and, and we just hit it off right away. And, and now we've sort of become partners in this um, collecting fog and, and helping people imagine how to harvest fog to supplement our, our water needs. And I, I would say, yes, it's totally possible. Um, it's not, there's not as much water in it as rain, of course, but if it doesn't rain, then it's all you've got. Um, and if you've pumped the groundwater dry, then you've got to turn to something else. And we know the problems with desal. So fog is, is, I don't want to say there for the taking, but it's there. And if you stick up some nets and maybe have some fan assisted solar powered fans or something to increase airflow through the nets and you and you're using the water where you collect it for maybe like biodynamic grape you know planting or olive orchard something that doesn't use tons and tons of water then i'd say yes it can totally be uh, practical and certainly worth looking into not many people are doing it the chileans have been doing it for decades they had whole towns running on fog uh, water um, until they turned recent, more recently to desal. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that's a fascinating area. We'll we'll be watching for more yeah. about that as well. We have time uh, for one outgoing song. Okay, if you sure. Would like to share? Yeah, it's, it's a, a kind of a quick sure. one. All right, we'll, we'll put the guitar up here. All right, so and this is a good uh, song for spring going into summer. I like to use my solar oven to cook beans and whatever else. This is a song about my solar oven. So when you feel like giving the earth some loving, just cook your food in a solar oven. It's lots of fun and it's real good tasting. With no gas or electricity, you'll be wasting. It's got a clear top and reflector shield. Set it up in a playground or an open field. Even though the outside is cool to the touch, the inside is an oven and can burn you very much. 
What are the best foods to cook in the sun? Potatoes, pot roast, lentils can be fun. But the best thing of all about cooking this way is that sunlight falls upon the earth each and every day. So when you feel like giving the earth some loving, just cook your food in a solar oven. It's lots of fun and it's real good tasting. With no gas or electricity, you'll be wasting. So I will tell you there is a great need to get these ovens to hungry people to feed. For no one will have to chop down a tree where sunlight is abundant and totally free. So, so, so when you feel like giving the earth some loving, just cook your food in a solar oven. It's lots of fun and it's real good tasting. With no gas or electricity, you'll be wasting. They're easy to make and can last forever. It's a simple thing that we can do together. When you feel like giving the earth some loving, just cook your food in a solar oven. Peter Weiss, thank you very much for being here on Planet Watch. Very nice. <laughs> All right. This is Planet Watch. You're tuned to, and we're going to take a very short break and be back with Joe Jordan with a report from the D.C. March. to Planet Watch. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman here with Tommy Martin and Joe Jordan is on the line from Washington, D.C. and he's going to give us a brief uh, roundup of what he saw and uh, experienced and uh, who he met. Apparently, Joe, you met a couple of celebrities up there, but that wasn't the real point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it made it, it sweetened the pot for what some might have thought was a pretty uh, ugly day weather-wise. Uh, I mean, I like rain. Hey, all Californians like rain because we need it so desperately. By the way, I'm looking on the webcam there <laughs> from just outside the studio. You're having a nice, classic, clear, blue, sunny, beautiful Santa Cruz day. It's kind of gray here in the northern Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., and it's supposed to rain a bunch the next couple days, but that was kind of a main theme, not an intended theme, but it rained like it meant business on all of us out there, and there were about 60,000 of us out there on the mall around the Washington, DC, uh, around the Washington Monument, um, and uh, then we marched down uh, Constitution Avenue from uh, one corner of the area where the Washington Monument is, but it, it just uh, kind of didn't let up for a while, <laughs> but I was just amazed. Everybody out there was just jolly and cheerful, and well, a lot of People are kind of mad, too, about, you know, what we're marching about, which was truth and science and the defense thereof. But um, anyway, and let's just um, tell people that on the Facebook page are a number of photographs that you and your wife Mary took while you were at the march. So if people want to go there, we'll also put a few up on the feed. Um, if Jason's willing to do that, our engineer will have some go up on our Facebook feed live. So, um, oh, yeah. so get a little and visual. Yeah, I wanted to give one more shout-out to Peter there. I thought he had left. I saw him getting up to put his guitar away, but he's back. Uh, that last song about the solar ovens, um, you know, we're going to have a group, Solar Cookers International, on our show sometime. Uh, they do worldwide wonderful work, and I actually uh, was on a trip uh, in Kenya, Africa, way back in the 90s where we were helping uh, rural villagers make and use solar ovens and get them into small villages around the capital, Nairobi. And uh, anyway, so that's an important and interesting story right there. But uh, back to the march yesterday. Um, 
gosh, uh, there were so many really fun signs and things, insightful things. Uh, I had one which you can see the picture there was real news, fake so-called president. <laughs> I did not see one like that anywhere else. One of my very favorite ones, though, was um, Trump administration are like atoms. They make up everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of a double entendre there. But uh, anyway, there was, um, well, there was one about the best solution for climate change is to repeal and replace Trump. <laughs> um, another one was, um, well, let's see here. There was the one about, uh, uh, well, hmm, I... Uh, not finding it right here. But anyway, um, so there was a big rally uh, on the grounds of the Washington Monument. and uh, Who were you know, some of the speakers at the rally, Joe? Yeah, that's what I was just getting to. There were uh, all kinds of scientists, medical people, uh, you know, talking about the value of science, what it meant to them, how they got into it. And then towards the end, they got into some of the, I guess you might call them heavyweights. Um, well, there were some astronauts. There, there was a woman who is the legal the lawyer behind this children's lawsuit against climate change that you may have heard of. We can actually maybe feature that on a future radio show where kids are suing the government for not doing something about protecting the climate for their futures. And, you know, they got standing. They're, they are going to have a day in court somewhere down the line here. That woman talked. Um, Joe Rahm, a famous, uh, well-known blogger about uh, uh, energy and policy and climate. Uh, Heidi Cullen, maybe you know the name, Heidi Cullen. She was on the Weather Channel for years doing actually a show, a feature on climate. And uh, just happened to run into her out there on the street. I recognized her and turned out she knew some of the people who I know and I was going to get word to them about something. Bill Nye, who I've met long ago back in 2001 when I was in St. Louis at the National Science Teachers Association annual conference. I ran into him at the airport and chatted with him and discovered his love of astronomy and space and everything. Um, Michael Mann, you know, I was out in front of the White House where I took that picture that is on the Facebook Live feed there. Uh, holding that poster I made. And he's just there by himself snapping some pictures of the White House. And he comes by, and I recognized him because I had met and talked with him at the climate conference. He was the keynote speaker at the UCSC climate conference a couple years ago. And so we, we chatted, and he was one of the main speakers. Uh, he was kind of the one who spoke the most directly about, you know, the science of climate. He, he's famous for the so-called hockey stick curve with the, of temperatures, you know, where there's this relatively sudden uptick in the global temperatures and you know he there was all kinds of hot water that uh, you know the climate doubters out there and the the big moneyed interests in keeping things the way they are you know were accusing him and he sued them uh for you know libel slander whatever defamation and he uh, he won and i'm not sure exactly the details of how that all stands but he was there so it chatted with him and then right. Dennis Hayes, one of my favorite people, he's the guy who started Earth Day in 1970, and he wrote a book, Rays of Hope, about solar energy, way back in 1976 is when and, he wrote that book, and he, he yeah, was there. Yeah, and Joe, I, we have that video, which we did put on Facebook, um, so we're going to break away now to um, a whole bunch of scientists that we talked to at okay. the Santa Cruz March, and um, we thank you for joining us all the way from Washington, D.C. We look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. We know you're going to be at the Climate March, so thanks, Joe Jordan, and we're going next to a recording from Santa Cruz and you'll maybe notice some of the people you know from our community if you're living here now. So thanks, Joe, and we'll be right back with this audio. You're listening to KSCO AM 1080 FM 1041 Planet Watch with Rachel Goodman and Joe Jordan. We'll be right back.
Trump is fake. I'm here to save the planet and the EPA. Uh, because I'm a mathematician and a scientist. And the uh, science is a way of knowing, which is something that's sadly lacking in our current government. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was a Scientology convention. <laughs> no. Really, no? <laughs> no, I, um, I'm an engineer. Uh, I'm with Citizens Climate Lobby also. And um, there's a lot of people that seem to think that, uh, that science isn't that big a deal. So I'm, I'm here to suggest that maybe it is. I'm here today to support all of those in all of their respective fields of science. I think it's amazing that so many of us have our specific niches and sometimes we don't understand everybody's fields, but the fact that we can all stand together is really powerful. What's your field? I am in the chemical oceanography department at Moss Landing Marine Labs. Great. And um, why, do you think we're, uh, why do you think this is such an important march today? It's such an important march today because there is a lack of support from politics and we need to show them that there's still a bunch of us that are rallying together to stand up for what we believe in and the facts. Facts rule. Facts rule. <laughs> Why are you here today and what do you, what's your field? My name's June Shrestha. I'm an ichthyologist at Moss Landing Marine Labs. I study fish. I'm here today because our oceans are changing, our planet is changing, and it's important to be here to support that and to support politics that support our oceans. Are you worried that science is not supported right now? Well, with proposed budget cuts, yes. In the literal sense, it won't be supported financially. Um, but I think from the public perception, too, coming together to support a cause like this is is a good sign. <laughs> I'm Stephen McCabe, and I'm here because uh, science is more important than hate. Uh, a lot of the politics really isn't anti-science. It's uh, against the policies. And what's your field? Uh, my field is botany. Is botany threatened by the current funding structures? Uh, yes, uh, I just heard somebody who lost their job in uh, Yosemite as a botanist uh, because of the current uh, hiring freeze. So it's affecting everybody? It's affecting everybody. Uh, funding all around. Uh, the people I work with, the, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they're very concerned about their funding. The National Park Service is concerned about their funding. State parks, uh, the people who do the science to protect the species, protect our air, protect our water, they're all concerned about their jobs and, uh, and the planet. So why are you here at this march? Because science is very important. Do we have to march to tell people that? Don't ever, doesn't everyone know that already? Apparently not. <laughs> I don't think they do. And certainly some of our leaders don't. So we just need to remind them. Gold, why are you here today? I'm here to show my son that I believe in science. And it's, uh, of course, the logical and rational thing to do. And <laughs> are you a scientist yourself? Uh, I suppose I am, uh, yes. What do you study? I work up at uh, UCSC at the uh, Human Genome Browser Project. I work on the genome browser up there. And uh, I've been there for some long time now, 14 years, I think. And what would you say are the threats to science or to your program right now? Well, of course, people are worried about cutting funding for, for important science programs. And that would, of course... Uh, diminish our ability to make progress and we've made a tremendous amount of progress especially um, in the field of genomics in particular uh, things are uh, improving at, at a just dramatic pace it's lovely to see so it would be a real shame if, if uh, a major crimp was put in this kind of work what do you think about this whole event what do you like about it is it kind of fun yeah what do you think about science? Do you want to be a scientist like your daddy? Mm. Maybe. You don't know yet. That's okay. You're young. How old are you? Five. Well, you have a long time to figure it out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but do you like, like, bugs and, like, nature and stuff and being outside? Uh, yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, that's fun stuff. Thank you. 
What's your name? Tig with a G at the end. I'm here to support the people who are fighting to save science from what Trump is doing to it. Oh my God. The cuts at EPA, the guy he chose to head the EPA. But this is so heartwarming. I can't believe how many people are here. And it's just, it's just warms my heart, Rachel. Really does. Why are you here marching today? Ah, to support science. Why do we need a march to support science right now? Because we, we don't need congressional oversight on science. What does funding the future of science uh, connect to what you do every day with education when you're telling students about their future? What do you say about this situation right now? I say that they have to go out and they have to find the facts and they have to listen to the facts, they have to weigh the facts, they have to explore, they have to do the scientific method because that's the way that they're going to learn what the actual reality is. What can somebody do, an average person hearing this, what's one thing you would suggest they just turn around and do after hearing you? Uh, write uh, your representatives, call them. Uh, write your legislators and tell them not to cut the budgets of science programs. Fight back against Scott Pruitt at the EPA. The EPA, all those beautiful pictures you see of weather systems and stuff, they're not allowed to share those between the various agencies that uh, collect that data anymore. Voices from the Science March from Santa Cruz just yesterday. Thank you for listening. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman along with Tommy Martin. And keep your eye on the sky.